Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. James Keaton is one of the finest ministers to ever stand behind the sacred desk. If there was ever an orator within the ranks of the holiness movement, it would have to be James Keaton. This message was preached in 1997 at Seabreeze Camp Meeting in Hope Sound, Florida, and he titles it, Don't Forget Your Benefits. I know you're going to enjoy this excellent message. When Dr. Taylor handed me the uh, lapel mic, I asked him if what I put in would come out like his did. <clears throat> he gave me no promises. I would like to read from the Psalms this morning, 103. 103rd division of the Psalm, some familiar words continue to bless my heart. <clears throat> Psalm 103 and verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgiveth all, who healeth all, who redeemeth, who crowneth, who satisfieth. And now, uh, for those of you who are not comfortable that I left out a few words, let me go back and put them in. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, and who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the many benefits that thy benevolent hand bestows upon us, thy children. Quicken our minds and our hearts. Help us to be attuned to the goodness of God today as we have already sat in heavenly places and been blessed with thy presence. Would our souls continue to be fed through thy word and by thy spirit in Jesus' name, amen.
<clears throat> the story is told of an <clears throat> Indian gentleman, old gentleman who had lived in considerable poverty all of his life until one day oil was discovered on the little parcel of land he owned. And almost overnight, he became fabulously wealthy. But he was quite contented with his present lifestyle, and therefore the documents of his wealth were taken to the local bank and placed inside a compartment inside the vault. The banker tells that on occasion he would see the old gentleman coming up the street. His shoulders would be down, he would be dragging his steps, his countenance was downcast, discouragement written all over him. And he would shuffle into the bank in that discouraged manner, and the banker might ask him something like this, well, how are things? And the old gentleman would reply, grass all dry, sheep all sick, creeks all empty. And the banker would take him by the arm and lead him over to the vault, take him inside and position a chair, open the compartment that contained the documents of the old gentleman's wealth, and suggest to him that you spend a little time going through these documents to make sure they are all in order, and would leave him alone. Maybe half an hour or more later, the old gentleman would step briskly out of the vault and the banker would say, well, how are things? And he would say, grass all green, sheep all well, creeks running high. Now the only thing that had changed was the mere fact that he had spent a little time looking through his benefits. And the Lord God looks at you and me this morning and is keenly aware that there is enough in this life if we dwell upon them, if we allow them to consume us, that it won't be long until we will be saying that the grass is all dry and the sheep are all sick. Perhaps someone came to camp meeting that way. And you have been in circumstances of late that causes you to wonder really if it's worth it and causes you to wonder if God really knows you exist or if you have been forgotten by heaven. So the Lord comes to us through his word and he says, I don't want you to forget your benefits. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, since we are a forgetful people, we find the Lord accommodates us a bit and he catalogs a little to help us prod our thinking along. And he divides this in a way that he reminds us of our benefits that has to do with the matter of sin, with the matter of sickness, with the matter of sorrows, social behavior, and satisfaction. And he begins and he said, do not forget the benefits that are yours from the one who forgiveth all. Hallelujah. 
I like that. I'm happy that he put the word all on that particular part. He forgiveth all thine iniquities. Now it's very important to you and me that we recognize that he does forgive all. Now it's important for three reasons in particular. One is because he alone has the power to forgive sins. And if he did not forgive all, we are in a real problem. If he decided he would only forgive certain ones, maybe sins of a certain category, but he could not nor would not forgive other sins, we would have nowhere to turn. There would be no one to whom we can turn or look to for the, for the forgiveness of the other sins. I was happy for Brother Winter's comments about our president this morning. I, I thank you for taking the courage to, uh, to prompt us in that direction. But we must recognize that our president has a tremendous amount of power. At his command, the armies march. At his command, the navy sails. At his command, the air force flies. At his command, the marines storm the beachhead. He has a tremendous amount of power. He has the scepter in his hand, so to speak. But there is something he cannot do. He cannot forgive one sin. And yet we look to the Lord God and he says, I don't want you to forget your benefits, for he is the one who forgiveth all. Hallelujah. The ones that you thought were big, the ones that you thought were little, the ones that you thought were insignificant, the ones you hope no one ever finds out about, the secret sins, the public sins, whatever they were, the ones that happened a long time ago or the ones that happened more recently, he alone has the power to forgive them. But if you have committed and confessed them to Christ in faith believing, he says then, he forgives all thy sins. Now the devil is the accuser of the brethren and he will bring them back to your mind from time to time. But when he does, you might lead him to this passage. For the Lord said, he forgives all thine iniquities. It is also important but he, because he alone knows the depth of our sin. And he still says he forgives all. Isn't it interesting how we try to put ourselves in the best light possible? Have you ever heard anyone say something like, well, maybe I have not been perfect, but I know some folks who have been a lot worse than myself. Maybe I have done a few wrong things, but I know some people who did some worse things. Isn't it interesting how we always like to uh, improve our image the best we can and think the best of ourselves we possibly can, but we must acknowledge that the Lord God knows the very depth of our sin. He knows the, the malice that was behind the facade of the smile on your face. When you were friendly down inside, you were boiling with anger or resentment. And when you acted in a cultured or cultivated manner, yet in, inside you were wanting to rebel, you were wanting to hurt, you were wanting to lash out. The Lord God knows all the depth of our sins. And when you put it in light of the fact that he still says, I forgive all. And he knows the very depth of our sin. It's enough to cause you to rejoice. When he says he forgives all, that's important because he alone is the final judge in this matter. 
And it is the final judge that is speaking and saying, I forgive, I forgive all. A number of years ago, when I was at the college on a Thanksgiving holiday, just the day the students were to go home, the speed limit had been adjusted down at that particular time, and we had a chapel just prior to the students leaving. Some of them were so anxious to get home, they had been there since August and had not been home, and this was their first opportunity to go home. But in the chapel service to which they were required to go prior to leaving, I, I laid it on pretty heavy. I really wanted them to get home safely. And I reminded the students of what the speed limit was. I said, and if you exceed the speed limit and you get a ticket, don't come crying to me. I laid it on pretty heavy. Chapel was over and they hurried home. And that night, I got a speeding ticket. <laughs> and it came out in the newspaper. <laughs> And someone saved an adequate number of copies so the students would all get to read about it. And they absolutely loved it. I thought maybe I could go up to the courthouse to the appropriate office and pay my fine and be real nice and sneak in and sneak out and that would be all. But when I went to that office, the lady said, Sir, you will have to go to traffic court. A date was set. It was an evening that I had to go give an account of my transgressions. And I went into that courtroom. It was a, a room that would seat maybe a hundred people. And it was filled with common criminals like myself. And the judge was in a bad mood. I knew it immediately. He was, he was hard. He was harsh. He was giving out stern tongue lashings. He was giving stiff fines. He was taking driver's license away from some people. One fellow even got a few days in jail for his transgressions. Obviously, he was in a bad mood. And they called my name. And I had to go stand before this judge. And he read the charges against me and asked me how I would plead. And I said, guilty, Your Honor. I said, but Your Honor, if I may speak. He said, yes, what is it? And I explained to him how that that very day that I had received the speeding ticket, the dash lights had gone out on my car. And I said as quickly as I could, thereafter the ticket, I, I took the car into the dealership and I had it repaired. And I said, I have brought the documents with me that uh, prove it was fixed and have how much it cost me. And he said, well, let me see them. And I handed them to him and he looked over them. And he said, well, he said, uh, I see how this could happen. He said, I'll tell you what, we're just going to forget this one. I said, thank you, Your Honor. And I felt so good. And when I turned to leave, I saw this guy. There he stood, arms folded across his chest. A rather stern look on his face. He wasn't happy. And then I recognized him. He was the officer who had written me the ticket. And he wasn't happy about the way things had gone. And when I went past him, I couldn't help it. I just gave him a little smile. <laughs> because the judge had spoken. And the judge had said, it's forgiven. It's all over. 
We're forgetting this one, this one behind us. And that fellow couldn't do a thing about it. Oh, he could accuse me. He could say bad things about me. He could go home and tell his wife what a bad night it was at court. He could do all of those things, but it couldn't bother me, for the final judge had already spoken, and so it is in the Word of God. There is the accuser of the brethren that will arise against your soul from time to time, and he's not happy about the way things turned out. But you and I do not forget our benefits in that the final judge has spoken, and he said, I forgive all. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All sin. The big ones, the little ones, the old ones, the, the ones that were committed prior, just prior to your prayer. Nonetheless, he said, I forgive all. Hallelujah. Not only does he deal with the benefits of our sins, he said then, remember also he forgiveth all, or he healeth all. He healeth all thy diseases. I'm going to tell you how old fogey I am and how old-timey and behind the times I really am. It may surprise you. I still believe in divine healing. Amen. Let me confess to you that when I was a, a, a young preacher, uh, much younger than I am now, I'm still a young preacher, but when I was much younger, as a matter of fact, someone told me I'm the only fellow they know that has children older than I am. <laughs> but I, I'm still a young preacher. But when I was a beginning preacher, I wasn't sure about this matter of divine healing. I wasn't arrogant about it. I wasn't flippant about it. I, I just did not want to embrace something that was uh, mere sensationalism or something else. I didn't want to embrace such a thing. And I wasn't sure about divine healing. And I remember praying and asking the Lord to help me to understand what his true teachings were and what his plan was in this matter for God's children Sometime later, I was preaching in a camp meeting, and uh, in the morning service, I, a man was taken ill, and he got up and he left the service, and after the service, he was found lying in the floor somewhere else in the building. He had suffered a stroke, and his left side was paralyzed, and he was, he was drawn in a grotesque rather manner, and blood had run from his left eye, and, and uh, he had suffered a serious stroke, and they hurried and gathered around him, and and I was of the consensus that uh, um, he should be called, the ambulance should be called. This man should be taken to the emergency room immediately. And I probably would still make that recommendation. But uh, his wife was down by his side, and with his slurred speech, she, he finally got her to understand. And so she told us he doesn't want to go to the hospital. My opinion was take him anyway. You know, it's not his decision to make at this point. The man is sick. He has to go to the hospital. She said, no, we're not taking him. And so they carried him over to his camper. And I went to my room. And he suffered all afternoon, and I worried and fretted about it all afternoon. I was just sure this man was going to die, and the whole community would think we were some kind of cult up there that didn't believe in medical care or something ridiculous. I could just see the worst happening. And to be quite honest with you, as I said before, my, my recommendation, if it happened today, would be take the man to the hospital. But they did not. Evening time came. I was on the platform. It was my evening to speak. 
And I looked into the out of the building, and here came three or four fellows carrying this man to the tabernacle. And I thought, oh no. The tabernacle was full. They tried to position him on the front seat, but he objected. And at long last, he got them to understand what he wanted was to be carried to the platform. There was only one chair that wasn't taken. It was a large overstuffed chair right by me. I didn't even want to look at him. And they carried this poor man onto the platform and got him situated in this big overstuffed chair. And I looked the other way. I was afraid he was going to die and fall over on me. They started singing. They sang a song and they sang a second song and were singing a third song when a gentleman in the back of the congregation jumped up and ran forward and up on the platform right to the gentleman beside me, took him by the hand and said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I know I didn't want him to do that. But I couldn't help but watch a little bit. He got to his feet and he staggered forward a few steps. Now it was a platform about the same height elevation as this. There was a curtain around it. And by the time he got over toward the edge, he was doing a little better. And then he gave a mighty leap, and he leaped over that curtain down to that level. I knew he was going to be scraped up off of the floor, but by the time I got up to check him out, he was halfway down the aisle, running, picking them up and setting them down. He ran a lap around. He ran up onto the platform, tapped the song leader on the shoulder, and said, if you want to mind God, get on my back. And he took him piggyback, and he ran another lap around. I didn't get to preach that night. Folks were shouting and praying and praising God. Sinners were seeking the Lord. We had a wonderful time. Holy pandemonium broke out. And I said, Lord, what is this? And he said, I thought you wanted me to tell you about divine healing. <laughs> From that day into this, I have never doubted. I do not believe for a moment that it's God's will that everybody be healed. If that were the case, none of us would ever die. But I want you to know that God has the power when it is within his will to touch the human body and to provide all of the healing that we need. But for every time I have ever needed a touch physically, there have been hundreds of times that my spirit has needed a healing. For every time my body has been broken, my heart has been broken many more. And the Lord God still says, this is within the bounds of your benefits. For when it seemed that all was lost, and I couldn't see the way out, and my spirits were so low, the Spirit of the Lord came beneath the fluttering wings of my soul and created a new buoyancy and began to cause me to rise just a little higher. And in, in no time, it seemed, the circumstances had not changed, but my spirit had been healed. And in the midst of it, was able to rise and rise and soar again in spite of the circumstances of life. Because as a benefit of a child of God, he said he healeth all thy diseases. Praise God. 
If you came to camp meeting with your wings dragging in the sand, if you came to camp meeting with your spirit broken, your heart aching, I would that somehow the Spirit of God would breathe again beneath the wings of your soul and help you to begin to rise a little higher and give you a new buoyancy so that you would know that God is on his throne. And as a child of God, you have the benefits of rising in the midst of a world that is plagued with discouragement and death and hopelessness. You are a child of God and you have a special benefit in that matter. Hallelujah. He is the healer of the body. He is the healer of the spirit, the healer of the home. He is the healer of the soul. But now he deals with thy sorrows. For he said, do not forget his benefits. He who redeemeth thy life from destruction. And someone says, I know what that means. It's talking about the word redeem and it must be talking about saving us. No, go back and read this one again. Thank God for the redemption of our soul. But here he says, he has redeemed thy life. Thy life. Hallelujah. Maybe you don't think you're really what you ought to be, but would you thank God that you're not what you used to be? That the hand of God has moved on your life hallelujah hallelujah he is not all he is not talking about the hereafter so much as he is talking about the here the present the now when you and I have developed a bad habit early in life of making the wrong choices and got ourselves into a horrible horrible mess and had set everything in motion to send our soul to hell we developed the habits and involved in the vices and, and accumulated the characters around us that were not good and not healthy for us and our life, our literal life was being ruined. And the Lord God said, as a benefit, I redeemed your life. Dr. Hankey has now died and gone to heaven, but he taught many years at Asbury Seminary. I had the distinct privilege of sharing uh, together with him uh, over a period of a couple days. And let me tell you the story as he told it to me. He told me he was 32 years old, could neither read nor write, and was a resident of the county poor farm. And one evening, sitting in a large rocking chair on that extended front porch of that old county poor farm, he looked down the driveway, the long road that wound its way into the neighboring village. And suddenly it began to dawn on him that he didn't belong there. And he began to say, what am I doing here? I'm only 32 years old. Something countered back and said, but you can neither read nor write. You are destined to poverty. You are destined to ignorance. But something else inside argued back and said, no, I don't belong here. And finally, with great resolve, he went into the house, collected a few belongings, tied them in his shirt, slung them over his shoulder, 
and told the superintendent he was leaving. The superintendent asked, will you stay for the evening meal? He said, no, I'm leaving. And not knowing where he was going, he started walking down that long winding road toward the neighboring village. In town, he met, he met some people. They were Christians. They let him spend the night and share devotions, family altar with them before retiring for the evening. He was deeply convicted for his sins. They talked to him, they prayed with him, encouraged him to do something about his life. He gave his heart to the Lord. He found some work and enrolled in some adult education, some schooling of some kind, liked it so well and did so well, he didn't stop until he had an earned PhD and was growing spiritually all the while and spent his last year as a professor at Asbury Seminary, the author of a tremendous book on the virgin birth. Oh, what was it? Was it because Dr. Hankey just was sharper than most? Was it because he had made the right choices in life? No, he had made the wrong choices. And at age 32, ignorant, uh, academically speaking, a resident of the county poor farm, but the Lord God in his mercy touched his heart and began to inspire within him a desire to rise higher and do better. And spending his last year as a professor at a major seminary in America, what could he say? He could only say it is the benefits, the benefits of a benevolent God that has redeemed my life. For his life was ruined, his life was wasted. But the Lord God said, but I have redeemed thy life. The Bible college, I took special interest in the preacher boys. The beginning of one particular year, I had not made all of their acquaintance yet. But there was one exceptionally fine-looking young man who was noticeable as he crossed the campus. And one day I was anxious to meet him. And as we began to talk, he said, I don't think you remember me, do you? And I said, no, I really don't remember having met you before. And he spoke of a certain camp meeting the previous year in a northern state. And he said, do you remember one night there was a man kneeling, a young man kneeling at the altar, barefooted, long hair, unkept, and he described the hippie type looking person that it was I said I believe I do recall he said that's me that's me he said I'm the young man that was there what was it was it because something just switched in him and snapped and all of a sudden he went from repulsive to wonderful and a glorious prospect for the ministry no it was the benefit of God's grace that redeems our life concerned mother and dad it may be their parents here that if one of your children would walk in you would be glad to see them in a way and in a way you would be ashamed of them in this crowd I hope not but it might be it's possible that if your child came in and maybe he with his earrings and or she with her tattoos or whatever their choices might have been and how worldly they might now appear and how ungodly they might uh, give evidence to their lifestyle being, I have good news for you. Keep praying. And the God of all grace that gets hold of those lives 
one of the benefits is that he redeems not only the soul, but he redeems the life. And he takes that life that looks hopeless and useless and makes it worthwhile. Keep praying. Keep believing. Get the benefits of the Holy God bestowed upon them. If they will only serve the Lord, there are many benefits and it will bear fruit in their life as well. He redeemeth thy life from physical destruction. He redeemeth thy life from moral destruction. He redeemeth thy life from social destruction because it is one of his benefits. And we cry, Lord, why would you do it for us? And he says, it's just some of your benefits. Hallelujah. And he said, forget not all his benefits, for it is he that crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. And again, we are prone to misunderstand. Talking about crowning with such high and holy things. We think he must be talking about God upon his throne or something. No. He said he crowns you with these things. Now our Lord wore a crown of thorns. So that he might crown you. With loving kindness. And tender mercies. Numbers of you would acknowledge that that was not your natural temperament. That loving kindness and tender mercies to you represented a sissy, a wimp, a softy. You were hard, abrasive, and harsh. You were uncharitable and unkind by your carnal nature. You thought it made you look strong. You thought it made you appear to be in charge. And then you met the Lord. And something so radically changed in your life. Have we not all known the stories of dad coming home in the evening and when his pickup rattled into the driveway, children scattered, some to the bedroom, some to the barn. And they would sleuth around a little later and see what kind of a mood dad was in. For if he was in the wrong mood, they would stay out of sight for most of the evening, if possible, because he would be boxing a lot of ears and throwing a lot of harsh words around. And so children in fear stayed away. And then came maybe camp meeting, an old-fashioned revival, wherever, but he got old-time religion, the real kind. And now the pickup rattles on the drive in the evening and the children nearly tear the front door off trying to get out there. One wanting to carry his dinner bucket, another one giving his legs a bear hug. They're so glad daddy's home because he's not the same kind of daddy he used to be. They're not afraid of him anymore. They're not afraid of his unsolicited blows to the head. They're not afraid of, his, of the tongue lashings and the harsh and ugly Words that are going to be levied upon them, the accusations that they're going to be laid heavy with. They're not afraid anymore because dad wears a crown. And it's a crown of loving kindness and tender mercies. Hallelujah. He no longer rules his home like he's a tyrant, like he's a brute beast. He no longer rules his home with fear, but now he rules his home with love and respect 
and the rightful order of things that God has given it because of some of the benefits of the Lord is simply that his life is so radically and completely changed that he is now crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies. This is the reason why a lot of little wives drop their heads and leaf through the songbook when daddy is up giving his boisterous testimony because at home he has lived like a tyrant at home he has been a brute beast at home he rules by fear this is why the children uh, look down at their shoes when daddy is up giving the high religious platitudes of a testimony because they know he does not wear the crown of loving kindness and tender mercies but to be a real child of God is to wear this crown to radically change your life. But men aren't the only one who get that crown, you know. There are some of the lady folks who by nature are cynical, suspicious, accusing, griping and crotchety, terribly difficult to live with, always suspecting something is wrong or going to be wrong, always complaining, jealous, unnecessarily. And then they too find the Lord. And suddenly they find their rightful style of life, simply crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies. Hallelujah. Thank God for his benefits. Thank God for what he simply does for us. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what we profess just in shoe leather, you see. This is it really at work. It isn't how many beautiful cliches we can tie together with oratory to make an outstanding testimony, but it's how we can live wearing this crown of loving kindness and tender mercies. Hallelujah. This is a crown that is to be worn in this life. It is a crown of witness. It is a crown of works. Someone say, well, why would the Lord do this for us? And he says again, it's just some of your benefits. And then he comes to the last category, that of our satisfaction. And he said, who satisfieth? Hallelujah. Who satisfieth? Who satisfieth? Who satisfieth? We live in a discontented world. We live in a world that is not happy with anything they have. Success only breeds greater desire for more success. They're not contented. They're not happy. They get a car, they want another one. They get a home, they want another one. They get a wife, they want another one. A husband, they want another one. That's the spirit of this world. They are a discontented generation. And the Lord God says, but as one of your benefits, he says you're satisfied. Thank God. <laughs> are you taking advantage of your benefits this morning? Don't forget them. Take for granted the 
Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. i mm-hmm.